As I was praying for this morning and this week, um, it seems like a lot of times whatever passage God lays on my heart to preach, I experience or go for a lot of the same things. And Elijah today, we're going to look at him. He was a man who, who God did great things through. He had these awesome accomplishments and feats of, of just God's sheer power in his life. And then he went through times of discouragement. And this week I had some of those same uh, experiences in my own life. And um, really even till yesterday, I was feeling just a little, little discouraged and saying, God, man, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. What am I doing wrong here? And uh, how many of you have ever tried to get a gift for someone? You put a lot of time and effort into it and you just were so excited and it didn't go how you fought, right? And, and so um, earlier this week... Um, I had, uh, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary on Thursday, and I was so excited. Um, I was able to find someone I traded a bunch of my music equipment for, and I got Meg this Apple uh, watch, and I was so excited so she can use it for running and, and all this stuff, and turns out it was most likely stolen. So when I went to go activate it, it said, sorry, you cannot activate it. And so there was other things that were going on, and I was discouraged, and I'm sitting there last night, and... I'm reviewing my message, and a student that I've poured into since he was in seventh grade was having his senior recital in college. And I got to listen to him play viol in the background as I worked. And then he did a worship set, and I got to see that. And then I come in this morning, and I see the worship team, and they're practicing, and they're preparing. And I see students that love God. And I, I just thought, you know, God, the things that I complain about really aren't that big. And God laid it on someone's heart who heard the story of my misfortune and gullibility. Uh, also came and even brought my wife an extra Apple Watch that they had. So even though I didn't technically, not the one I technically gave her, God provided. And I think for some of us here, as we look at the story of Elijah today, we're going to see that God provides for Elijah a transition that Elijah was, was discouraged, he was overwhelmed, he, he, he felt like he was alone. And the kids have been learning about Elijah and Elisha over these past few weeks. But when you study the life of Elijah, you see that most of his life he lived with boldness and power, that he knew where his strength was coming from, he was confident, and even when he was alone against 450 prophets of Baal, he knew that there was nothing that could stand against his God. And as time went on, he lost many friends. He, he had seen all the prophets destroyed around him. Even before he destroyed the prophets of Baal, he had went through hardship. He went through loss. He felt like he was alone. And only Elijah knew what was really going on in his heart and mind. But one of the great things about Elijah is no matter how hard he tried to run away from God, it's calling on his life, he couldn't. See, when God calls you to something, it doesn't matter what you go through. That calling is on your life. And I'm so grateful that at a young age, at six or seven years old, Jesus Christ came and he called me to have a relationship with him. And my life was changed. I'm praying that for some of us today, it would be the same. And so I pray that the teens and our children in our church would hear the gospel and they would love it, that they would grow, that Christ would call them from a young age and they'd be determined that my life isn't my own, but it's to follow God. And Elijah had always come to that point in his life. But a few things as we start studying the life of Elijah, he was a ninth century prophet um, uh, in BC before Christ came, about, about 1100 years before he was alive and living on earth here. And his whole job was to stand up against 
Baal worship, which is a, a pagan practice that had infiltrated the children of Israel, that the people that were supposed to be followers of God weren't following God. Instead, instead they were following Baal. And so he was, his whole job was to preach against this. And it seemed like no one was listening to him. How many of you go for times where you're saying things, you're trying to make a stand for Christ, and you feel like you're the only one? Kids, do you ever feel that way in school, right? Uh, even I talked to Nehemiah, and he said, Dad, I, when I pray at school, I feel like I'm the only one doing it at the lunch table. And then one day he said, Dad, this other kid prayed for, prayed for his lunch at school, and he was so excited to know that he wasn't alone. So God helped Elijah, and in 1 Kings 18, he, he has this miraculous encounter where um, there's, uh, he says, hey, let's put it to test. I know I'm the only one, but my God is bigger than your God's. And he's able to defeat anything that you throw at us. So let's set up these two altars. So he, he set up two altars, one that was set up to Baal, and they had the 450 prophets of Baal, and, and, and uh, they He's, he said, hey, pour water all over mine. Yours could be dry, but I'm going to ask God to light mine on fire, and you're going to ask your gods to light yours on fire. And so they streamed, they, they yelled, they ripped their clothes. They did everything they could to draw attention, and nothing happened. And God, Elijah says, God, you call down your fire to devour this. And his fire came down and not only consumed his offering, but it consumed the offering of the uh, uh, Baal prophets as well. And so as you look at it, he just experienced this awesome thing. And then we get to the end of 18 and beginning of 19. And there's a king and queen for those of us who, who just experienced the test. Who were the king and queen that they were against, against Elijah? Yep. So King Ahab and Jezebel, right? King Ahab's supposed to be the godly leader in charge of, of being king over all of Israel, but he's allowed his wife to bring in this worship to, to Baal. And in fact, there was a hatred towards Yahweh, towards God at this time. And so after this mountaintop experience, you'd think that Elijah would have the strength to face anything, that one single person couldn't stand against him because he had seen what his God had done. How many of you have seen God do awesome things in your life in the past, right? How many of you face trials and you think, God, where are you? Right? Like we, we go that we so quickly forget. And so, so just mere weeks afterwards, um, we see that there's uh, an old school version of a Twitter war, right? Almost against, against Elijah that, that King Je uh, Ahab's wife Jezebel sends this message, says, listen, because what you have done to my prophets, if I don't kill you, may the gods be 10 times more severe to me. May they take my life. May they, may they destroy me. And so being the godly man he is, he stands in place and says, hey, my God can take this, right? No, he runs away in, in fear of this woman. And I think for us, we can let fear sink in quickly when we take our eyes off of God. And so Elijah runs off and, and he, he's under this, this tree. And uh, in fact, it's, it's a very... Uh, Important thing that the fact that as Elijah runs to Beersheba, it was a significant area where God had spoke to Abraham, where God had, had worked in his life. And he's laying there saying, God, I'm all alone. There's no one here. Would you take my life? But God does something. He sends an angel to appear to him and give him food and water and drink and to send him on his journey. See, God is there with Elijah even where he's not supposed to be. Elijah wasn't supposed to take off and flee, but God was not going to leave him. Aren't you grateful for the fact that God does not leave us? Right? He's, he's there with, with us no matter what we go through. 
And so Elijah had just experienced the power of Yahweh, but he quickly forgets what God has done. We often have these huge mountaintops experience, and as time goes by, we forget what God has done, or we get disappointed if our experiences don't match our previous encounters. The experiences you are having with God right now will never be the same as your past or future experiences, but if they're rooted in the truth, then his love will be able to sustain you. You know, I was thinking uh, over the past few weeks, the song Trust and Obey has been stuck in my head. Does anyone know that one? Right? Trust and obey, trust and obey. There's no other way to be what happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I am a sensory person. I like, I like the experience. I love when I go to life conference and there's, there's you know, 6,000 other students worshiping God and there's all these powerful things. But God speaks in the still small voice that we're going to read about just as much as those experiences. And guess what? No one could afford to live at a conference with that many people all the time, right? But Elijah is now discouraged when things get different. So 1 Kings 19, verse 5, Elijah says, I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah had a preconceived idea of what success was, but it was different than God's. Elijah had beaten the enemy and now was afraid of them. I love this, this next quote here by Charles Spurgeon. It says, Elijah had retreated before a beaten enemy. When you get stuck in trials, you get stuck in situations where you feel like you can't win, we need to remember who is on our side, right? The fact that the God of the universe, the God who created you and I, the God who's defeated our enemies in the past, we all raise our hands and says, God has been there with us in past situations. Guess what? He hasn't changed. Only our situations has. So we know we can trust and rely on him. And so when our identity and strength is wrapped up in our experience rather than the truth of God and who we are in him, our faith and joy fluctuate based on our circumstances and experiences instead of the consistency of the nature of God. We should not fear man for what he can do to us, but we need to, with fear and tremble, worship and trust the God of creation. See, for three years, Elijah followed every single call and step that God had, had made him do. He didn't make a single move without following the Lord's instructions. And, and, but now he is uh, fleeing for his life in order to save it. How many of you have ever made dumb decisions when you weren't following God? Kids, have you ever done something before that you knew you weren't supposed to and your parents tell you, don't do this, right? And you do it and there's, you're like, oh, that was really dumb. I probably shouldn't have done that, right? Like, like we go through these things, but we continue to do them. I love this quote from Warren Wiersbe. says this, when God's servants get out of God's will, they're liable to do all sorts of foolish things. And what's interesting is when you're in those situations, our minds start to rationalize, well, it's really not that bad, or, or what I'm doing really isn't, isn't that against God. And all these things till our hearts become hardened. But let's think about the people in the Bible. We uh, looked at Elijah and Elisha and, and the challenge here earlier. But let's just look at a few other people in the Bible. Abraham's strength was his faith, right? But Abraham, when he fled Egypt, he failed his faith. David's strength was his integrity, but that is where he failed. And when he stopped listening to God, he even tried to cover it up with more and more lies. Moses' strength was his humility, but he, uh, his temper, he lost his temper and forfeited his right of entering the promised land. 
Peter was a courageous man, yet his courage failed him as he denied Christ three times. Like Peter, Elijah was a bold man, but his courage had failed him when he heard Jezebel's message to him. Kids, can I encourage you? You're going to have people tell you, man, you're foolish for following God. (laughs) Why would you do this? I want to encourage you this. Care more about what God says about you than what other people say to you. Students, man, I know life isn't easy. Man, I know the schools are hard. I know work is hard. Parents, I know raising children is hard. Grandparents, the same way. But here's the thing. When our hope and trust is in Christ, we follow him and say, God, I don't know what you have, but I'm going to follow your plan for me. And so you might feel defeated today, but God wants to remind you that the enemy has already been defeated by Christ. And his victory was already won over sin and death. So if you love Jesus, you're already on the winning side. But here's Elijah, and he, he takes off, and, and he, he's up in this upper uh, part of, of Mount Carmel, up on the top left of the screen here. And he runs away, and it's a 200-mile journey from Beersheba all the way down. You see the second mark there is Beersheba, and he, he heads all the way down there, and he's hiding. What he doesn't even realize, and, and maybe realize and just was blind to it, is the fact that where he is hiding is actually in the province of Judah, where King Ahab's sister is queen. And she also doesn't like Elijah. Elijah is not a very popular person around people who are against God because he was outspoken. So he heads off and for 40 days and 40 nights, he marches there until he has reached his final destination in Mount Horeb. Also, when you look at his life, God still continued to use him for his calling, that as he's on this journey, he is actually symbolizing the journey that the children of Israel would walk on for their unbelief and, and for their, their lack of faith that God was able to sustain them, right? If you look back to that, that story, um, there was the 12 spies that went in and there was the two that said, hey, God can help us to overcome this because God is on our side and he can do anything. And yet there's 10 that said, nope, we can't do this. We, we can't go into this land. They'll overtake us. So Elijah, because of his lack of faith and saying, God can help me in this situation, is left to flee. And so we're going to start here in verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Kings 19. And we're going to start in verse 9b here. And it says this, And the word of the Lord came to him. Whenever you hear that saying, it's, God's about to say something big here. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they put all your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. There's a few things I want us to look at here. The first, the Lord knows exactly where you are and what what you're doing. Notice God doesn't say to him, hey, Elijah, where are you? Right? He goes exact right to him and he sends, sends the angel and says, hey, hey, listen, Elijah, what are you doing? Right? Like, like, like wh- where are you at? I, I remember uh, one time my, one of my kids, they had done something wrong and I was looking all over for the house from them and we found them in the middle of my comforter and they were just a sweaty little ball of 
sweaty grossness, right? And, and, and I picked them up and I held them and said, what's wrong? They're like, I, I thought you were going to be mad at me. And so Elijah has this thing where he's in this cave and he's going away, but God knows where he is. God knows exactly where you are in your life and you can't fool him one way or another. And so Elijah may have been running from his enemies, but he couldn't run away from God. He has asked the question, where are you? Maybe God is saying the same thing to you today. You've been going through the motions, but maybe your heart isn't where it needs to be. Maybe you're coming here and you have questions and you're saying, man, what does it mean to follow Christ? And God's saying, hey, listen, I'm, I, I want to know you. I want to have this relationship with you. But where you are really with him, he knows. He knows everything about you and there's no need to run from him. I remember when I was six or seven years old and I, I gave my life to Christ that, that there was this brokenness, there was this emptiness that, that was there. And even at six or seven, I knew that there was something wrong. And God called, put this calling on my life. And when I had that, I knew that I was called to tell other people about him. And so I used to actually take the tracks. We had a little, tra anyone ever remember the, the uh, Adver Church had track stands? So I went in, I would take them. And then I actually snuck down to the corner bar and was passing out. My parents were like, hey, you can't go down to the bar, Dan, at seven years old. It's not a good thing, right? But, but I wanted to tell people about him. And God laid that calling on my life. And yet sometimes as adults, we forget that it is okay to be broken, and in need of God's help. Maybe you're here today and you're broken. You're saying, God, I, I need you. Students, we know that there are times where you feel broken and empty, but God is there with you. And also, a lot of times we don't see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Elijah is more worried about what man can do to him than God. But also, he misses the fact that his faithfulness has not been overlooked. So Elijah, in the moment, he can't see the forest through the trees. He didn't realize that God had used him to reach people and that there was over 7,000 people that were still following Yahweh in Israel. Yet Elijah's going, I'm the only one. There's no one else. Elijah, you're not the only one. And in fact, there's 7,000 people that at times, if they were honest, would say, I feel like I'm the only one. But God sees this and he hears this. And so... I want to encourage you today that if you're following God, you're, you're not the only one. And in verse 11, we continue. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, whenever we hear that the Lord is about to pass by or say something, there's something powerful that's about to happen, right? Moses goes up on the mountaintop. He has this encounter with God. He comes back. His, his hair is all, all changed. He, he, his life was changed because he had this encounter. He couldn't look at the full glory of God. But we're going to do something fun here as a group. We're going to see how this works. The first service really got it well. And so uh, to try to wake everyone up, we're going to give this a shot. So whenever I say a great and powerful wind, we're going to make a wind noise, all right? So we're going to go... All right, so let's practice that. Here we go. All right. And whenever we say earthquake, we're going to stomp our feet. All right, so stomp your feet. All right. This is, who needs Broadway? This is going to be great. I just know it, right? Uh, and then whenever we say fire, I'm going to go from uh, the middle of the room, room right here over. We're going to rub our hands together. All right, in this side room, we're going to click our fingers like this. It almost sounds like fire. You just got to imagine with me, all right? Uh, and so we're going to go through, and as we read this, I want, I want you guys to help me with this, all right? 
So 1 Kings 19, verse 11b, it says, Then a great and powerful wind, so beautiful, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Oh, you got that one good. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Oh, see, I didn't even train you guys on that one. It was, it was good, right? <laughs> see, it just you can't be taught, right? But when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, when you think about this, all these things passed before Elijah, and, and, and I'm sure there's some, some, some thinking about past things that God had done with the children of Israel when they were leading them through the wilderness, right? You had the pillar of fire there in front of them, and then the, you had the wind and, and, and all that. But then also, you have this time where Elijah just seen God use fire to defeat the prophets of Baal. And so these images were powerful. And one of the reasons why God sends these images in front of him is that Baal worship it also involves worshiping the wind the fire, and the earth. And so this was also to show the fact that, listen, they, they worship these gods or deities that are supposed to be over these individual things. I'm the one that created all of them and holds them into place. God is the one who holds every situation in your life in place, and he knows every single thing about it. But here's the thing. God doesn't speak to Elijah through that stuff. He speaks through a still small voice because even though God has created all that, he still wants to know you personally. He still cares about what you do personally. It matters to me the things that my kids do because I love them. It matters to God what things you do and where your heart is with him. And so Elijah sees this and God is showing him that he's the God who controls all these things, yet he is also the one who is speaking to him now. And here today, what is God saying to you? So we're going to continue on here and fly through some of these. And in, in verse 13, here's what the voice says to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? Notice this is, a, this, this is the first of two times this is going to be said to him. Or the second, second time it's said to him that, that God asked him this question. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation in your life where you just feel God asking you, like, what, what are you doing here? I, I remember when I was uh, in high school, there was a club that used to be around here that you can go to for teenagers, and I knew I shouldn't go. Like, I just knew, I just knew in my heart, man, God's called me more to this. And, and I remember going there, and I remember just walking out and just saying, God, why, why did I take your vessel? Why did, why did I go into there knowing that this place wasn't going to be a place that I should go? And it was interesting. I had to lead worship the next morning and I just felt like, oh God, I, I, what am I doing here? Even though I didn't participate in any of the things, I knew my heart wasn't where it was, 
But it was in that, that time that I remember God speaking to me and challenging me the fact that, Dan, I, I love you and I have a plan for you. See, God speaks to us sometimes when we aren't where we should be. But the great thing is he replies here and, and, and we see Elijah says the same thing he says a few verses earlier. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. He sort of has this ER, doesn't matter anyway, type of reply, right? He's stuck in this, this perpetual thing. But earlier in chapter 18, he had voiced in front of the prophets of Baal, hey, I'm the only one left, but my God is able to defeat your gods. He's able to defeat all of you. And he, he came from a position of strength. But now that he is there, just weeks later, he had forgotten that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when you're going for trials in your life, that God is still the same God that he was then. And the God who spoke to you in the still small voice when you first gave your life to him is the same God that's speaking to you now saying, I love you. What are you doing there? And so students and kids, I want to encourage you that you might feel like you're the only one following God sometimes, but you are not alone. And, and even when you are the only one standing, that God can make a difference for your standing alone. I, I wonder how many of you saw this picture this week? Uh, anyone see the story on Facebook? All right, a few people have, have seen this. And, and so this, this picture here is, is a picture of a, a boy who on Wednesday morning, he was the only one at his school for CU at the pole. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go stand out there. And, and what's going to happen is as people stand, uh, see me standing, they're going to join me. They're going to come around me. And it's going to be a great thing. But no one came. And so someone took this picture and was sending it around. And, and here's, here's what one lady uh, named Stacy Philpot wrote when she saw the picture circulating online. She said, the air on Facebook has felt a bit toxic to me lately. So I announced that I'd be taking a hiatus from it. I needed some space between me and all the heated political distractions and finger pointing and the name calling. I looked forward to the open wide space free from Facebook and notifications. For this reason, a friend of mine knew that I wouldn't see the thread in a local community group she had tagged me in, and yet it was a tag that I wouldn't want to miss, so she texted me and gave me a heads up. At first, I couldn't understand why she felt it so vital that I see this particular thread. It was about a young man who decided to stand alone that morning around his flagpole and praying in observance of the annual CU at the Pole Day for students. Member of the community were chiming in and praising both student and parents. I don't know who he was, but his mom and dada, daddy should be proud. That takes courage. He obviously is a young man of great character, another person commented. As I scrolled through the pictures, it hit me. The boy who stood alone at the pole was my boy. They were talking about my son. A little boy who had rocked to sleep in blue airplane pajamas when he was sick. The toddler who loved Elmo who couldn't go to sleep without holding his VeggieTales characters. Or by standing alone. Oh gosh, I can't read. You see, before I had kids, I never cried at these things, you know? <laughs> it's a terrible thing when you, you look over and you start crying there. By doing everything we had ever taught him, everything we had ever hoped that he would be, I was completely undone. And she went to talk about her shortcomings as a parent as well, but 
She says this, my son says that at first he would simply pray until someone came along. Eventually he realized that no one else was coming. Then the cry of his heart changed. He asked that God would do something about him standing alone and use that to make a difference. Maybe you're standing alone in your marriage or your family or in your school or you're, you're wondering, God, I don't, I don't know if this is making a difference. I'm praying that God will use that and encourage you today. And so want to quickly go through here and um, in the next verses here in 1 Kings 19, 14, God promises Elijah that he's not going to be alone, that God is going to send someone. He's going to send a helper to him. And it says, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshu, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat from Abel. Mahola to succeed you as prophet. God promises someone to uh, continue the work. And there are still those that follow the Lord. And so Elijah's heart is encouraged by this. Now, if we're honest here, and we're going to have someone come up here and read a, a verse. Uh, Aaron's going to come up here and, and help me with this. But how many of you in this room get discouraged when you look at the, our culture and society going on right now? Do you know God is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever? And he is rising people up to continue his work. And so we're going to see Elijah's, Elisha's response here. And so why don't you take it away and, and read this, Mr. Aaron. Here's the microphone. It might help you out a little bit. Just a little bit. There you go. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Saphat. He was plowing the field with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran, at, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha went back left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Great job, buddy. I, I, I love Elijah's heart here. Elijah just says, listen, listen. Elijah comes and he puts this cloak around him and instantly he knows that, hey, God is calling me to follow him. He's calling me to more than what, what I'm doing now. And so he, he's, he's literally in a field plowing and Elijah is willing to instantly leave everything behind to follow the call on God's life. See, the ministry that Elijah was doing was going to continue on. Hope Church, God's ministry is going to continue on long after we're gone because God's church isn't built upon us. It's built upon the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And, and so here's, here's a Elijah, and, and, and yet he feels guilt of laying the calling of God on Elisha, but it, wasn't, it was God who was calling Elisha. It wasn't Elijah. And Elisha burned his own life and left it behind. When God calls us to follow him, he calls us to leave everything behind and says, God, I'm all in. God, I want to be a lukewarm Christian. I want to be someone who follows you. And so Elisha has this call on his life. 
Can I encourage us, church? Can we pray for our, our, our kids? Can we pray for our youth group students that they would be this generation that would say, God, we're going to stand for you even when it's hard. If it's hard for us now, it's not going to continue to get easier as we go forward. But God is on their side and God is with us. And so the last thing, too, on this part is... Elisha leaves his stuff to be a servant to Elijah. He said, I'm here to serve. Students, I want to encourage you that if you really want to follow God, if you really want to serve him, don't worry about everyone putting you in places of elevation or rise up. Just come and say, God, I want to serve you. I don't, I don't care what I get out of this. I, want to, I care about your name being known. And one thing that we could take away from this too is let's not say no to the call of God in others' lives by not sharing the gospel with them. Let's not say no to our children that God can use them in a powerful way by holding back what God might want to do for them. And, and in fact, uh, there's times where I think about, I, I love what I'm called to do. This is the, I know this is what Christ has called me to do with my life. But there's times where it gets discouraging hard. It's like, God, I just, want, I just want to quit. I don't know if it's making a difference. But it's not really about what I do or about what you do. It's about God's name being made known. And so when I think about my own son and my daughters, when I read this passage, I thought about God. What, what if God called my children to be missionaries? And they didn't live by me anymore. Nehemiah's always said that he's going to build, buy the house right next to us growing up. What if, what, if, what if he bought a house in a foreign country or lived in a tent because he's telling people about Jesus? Lord, if that's your will, I'm okay with it. If our kids get bullied at school or something happens because they stand up for Christ, do we encourage them to say, listen, I want you to keep standing for Christ. Mom and dad, do we model that when we're at home? A life that says we're going to live for Jesus no matter what. And here's the great thing. Even though there's things that are hard in this world following Christ, Jesus says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from it. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. God's call on our life. He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. We're not alone. And we're going to have the worship team come up here in just a few seconds. And we're going to just look, think about some of these. The problems that we face and change, or face change, but God does not. We see in Hebrews 13.8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Church, when you face hardships... You still have the same God that defeated those prophets of Baal is the same God who lives in you. John 10, 27, the Lord is still speaking to us and we see that it says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and, follow the, and they follow well. And lastly, we must be willing to leave everything behind to follow the call of God on our lives. And so as we end here this morning, as we're going to sing the song, Follow You Anywhere. And as we do this, my prayer and our heart's desire would be that you would say, God, whatever you're calling me to do, whatever you're asking me to do, that I'd be willing to do it. If, if you do not know Christ and you're here today and say, you know, I, I hear this still small voice talking to me. Would you come and talk to one of us and pray? But, but it, it starts off with simple prayer of repentance saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short. God, I know that I need you. 
but I believe that you died on the cross, that you, you lived a sinless, perfect life. You died on the cross for my sin, and then you rose again. And I ask you to come to my heart and make me a new person. And can I tell you that your life will never be the same. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it won't be the same. Kids, if you're in this room and you have never done that today, this is the opportunity to say, God, I want to follow you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in that prayer here, if that's you today. If we just bow our head and close our eyes and just let God speak to our hearts as we get ready to sing this song. And if that's you, I want you to think about those words and just pray this with me in, in your heart. Dear Jesus, God, I admit that I've sinned. I admit that I've, I've done things that are wrong, Lord, that I've ran away from you. But Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a new person. Lord, I want to live for you. Would you show me how to live for you? And I give you complete control of my life. In your precious and holy name, amen.